Just a heads up, this episode does contain some adult language. Or like for me, I had to deal with with this acute moment of life and death at one point when I was young with my dad. Hi, welcome to the Creative Curry Podcast. My name is Dinesha. I am a storyteller and writer, and I am on the search to find the recipes behind a creative life. So what we're doing is we're bringing in creatives from all industries into the studio for me to interrogate them. I mean, question them and have conversations with them about the work they're doing and the stories that they are telling. This episode's guest is Veshalini Naidu. Vesha is an illustrator, poet, and theatre maker. Her ongoing watercolour series, Skin and Flowers, explores gender and sexuality in Malaysia. Notable theatre performances that we talk about in this episode is 448 Psychosis and To Which My Brother Laughed. Vesha has also represented Malaysia at the Asian Youth Theatre Festival in Singapore and at the St. Petersburg Masterskaya Theatre in Russia. In today's conversation, we talk about the spiritual approach Vesha has towards her projects and also how her family has shaped her artistry. We also get to dive a little into the ideas of character and performance. Towards the end of the episode, Vesha shares her Facebook post titled Olive Back Sunbirds and we get to talk all about it. So with that, here's Veshalini Naidu. Um, Vesha, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like this episode is going to be a lot of laughter. Yeah, yeah. But let's try. Okay. Let's try and be normal human beings. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay, the reason why I'm laughing is because it's weird when you've listened to episode one all the way and I listened to your latest one like just now. It's like, it's just it's like... You know when you're a, when you're a young girl and you have a dream. <laughs> Shut up. This <laughs> is that. You make it seem like some Cinderella story. Yeah, because it's weird. Because like I, while you're talking, I just hear your voice in headphones. You know. Oh. It's this weird like. Ah. Uh, mm, mm. It's uh-huh. like my brain's uh-huh. a bit fucked right now. <laughs> okay, like, that goes. We're gonna have to put the explicit on this episode. <laughs> Yes, all the beeping. <laughs> no, we don't beep. Why? We just put a, a notice at the beginning oh, yes. that this episode is explicit. Right. Yeah. Or no. Seems to work. It's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. We, we seem to go on a trend. We'll be like, explicit, normal. Explicit, <laughs> normal. <laughs> so you're capping the season off. Explicit, fine. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> totally nice, fine. Totally fine. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, but yeah, thank you for being here and sitting with me in uh, one of the many conversations we have. Yes. Except this is recorded. Yes. And the whole world gets to hear it. Yes. Best. It's funny because then I was thinking, would we be able to have this conversation because we had too many? Ooh, yeah, I thought about it too actually. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering like I was as I was like thinking of the questions and things like that. I was thinking, is there a question I haven't asked Vesha? Yeah. Right? And yeah. actually, there's a lot. Oh, there's a lot I actually haven't asked you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, but let's go right to the beginning. Okay. So all the way where it began, uh, where baby Vesha or <laughs> child Vesha. Mm-hmm. Um, curious, were you creative as a kid? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I was. But it was interesting because I'm the youngest, right? I'm the youngest of three, so the first person to do anything is my oldest sister, and I remember very clearly. So she's obsessed with horses, like horses are her passion. And so the first thing that she learned how to draw was a horse. 
And then because she's an older sister and she had like some kind of, she had a complex, a power complex. So she made me and my other sister like sit down at the table and she was like, y'all are going to learn how to draw a horse. And it was basically an oval and then like four lines for the legs. And that was it. Where's the head? I don't think we, eventually we went to head Maybe Because an oval with like legs sounds like a bug. <laughs> yes. That's not a horse. But she told us it was a horse, so we're going to take it. Okay. <laughs> Considering I know your sister, you know this episode, I'm like, I'm, I am personally messaging her the moment this episode goes live and be like, I'm checking. Um, Tishani, Vesha talks shit about you. <laughs> Go listen. Go listen. You, you may fact check her at the okay. same time. Uh, but yeah, that's, I remember that being a distinct memory. But then I remember her saying like, because I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I don't know why I couldn't get it. And then she looking at me and going like, it's okay. It took me a long time to figure out how to draw a horse. And I started from here. You'll need to start from here also. So it's a sense of like, oh, you, you know, you need to learn basics. And Tushani, at this moment, she can draw a fully, like a full, the full anatomy of a horse through memory with absolute detail. It's like hyper-realistic drawings. Wow. Yeah. It's, and she could do and she can do it in any medium. Like one of her like signature stuff was charcoal on sugar paper. And she could just like do on the spot. Ooh. Yeah. And until now, yeah, it's just one of those, yeah, one of those things, you know, and that's like years of, of discipline. It's basically like she's 27 this year now. Should we, you know, should be 26 this year. Sorry. Sorry, you old. Uh, sorry, <laughs> in 2020, yeah, she's 20, 26. 20, yeah, 2020, okay. she's 26. And I think um, this love started when she was six. So 20 years, though. 20 years of drawing has led her to this moment, you know. Um, so I think... That being my first memory, and then as a as the younger kid, always always copying, like there was always this need to follow the leader or like follow my sister especially, and and the home that we grew up in wasn't the best, so it was I was always kind of like looking for models or like looking for things that I could emulate, right? Whatever worked, whatever behavior worked, whatever. Um, language worked however to speak and write and and read and and draw so you know when my sisters learned how to draw manga I learned how to draw manga um, when my sisters started debating I learned how to debate it was things like that and then that and that yeah, evolution came about when they learned piano I had to learn piano although like didn't last with me because I just like hated it so then I took up guitar which I dropped so, didn't only on the music front, it didn't really work. But then I would sing, because my mom used to sing. Mm. So, it was this kind of like, very early on, being artistic or being creative was very much present. And then my father runs a labeling company, he creates self-adhesive labels. So, there's also this sense of like, the business of art. Mm. You know, and always bringing that back home. Kind of, and and he is a very talented man. That was his. I think when I was ten, he had this weird moment where he wanted to be like Michelangelo or something, and so he brings back this canvas, and then he just and where we where I grew up, it was very um, in the outskirts of Seremban. It was in Sinawang. We went to Jaffa, which is right behind the Angsi line like the mountain range okay and so we were so the house is here behind the house is just complete 
thick jungle. And so I remember every morning, he would set out his easel, his paints, and all facing the mountain, he would paint. And they were actually really good works. And then he would like burn it later or something. I can't remember. I think like he like destroyed the canvases after that. He was a very complete. He is a very complicated man. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I think that constantly being surrounded by it, however, not giving it not giving it weight. Hmm. You know? Wait, what do you mean by that? Is so, it like you never made it part of your identity? Or was just like, you just do because you do kind of a thing? You just do because you do. There's no future in it. So there is no investment. Don't don't invest in it. You know, you can do it. But yeah, the, the idea of making it into something bigger wasn't really present. And then I, and I loved working with my hands. So I used to, I called myself an inventor when not really. All I did was like take tissue boxes and stick them together. But, <laughs> but this was, so what I used to do, I was very, um, we were gamers already from a very young age. And uh, we were playing Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy twelve. Oh my god, yes. Yes, it's good shit, right? And so like I remember We just went into ASMR territory. <laughs> just saying, but yes, good shit. Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and so like as so I remember, um for because we were so we were so caught up that you know back in the day when they had when they used to sell all like the pirated CDs and stuff like that, right? There would always be uh, pirated CDs of all the cutscenes from Final Fantasy from 12 and from 7 but then they called it the movie Final Fantasy 7 mm. had a movie but then there was also the one where it was just cutscenes and then 12 also was just cutscenes but then they called it the movie <laughs> so I remember us buying it you know and then watching it and that was like really like really caught up we would watch it like rerun after rerun and so then I'll go like I'll go into my room and then I'll try to remake the weapons so I actually like remade um, Vance like sword like the big thick one using statistics shit so i mean yeah like, like life size like, or like small miniature miniature ones okay. you know and so like i would like line them up together and then i'll cut like break the sticks accordingly and stuff and to make my own little one and then um and then even with the clothing and stuff because we already at that point were trying to learn manga so then i would like design my own final fantasy characters or costumes and like weaponry and you know and like my own logic like trying to like you know build this whole world in my head what it would look like you know and and then um kingdom hearts they had the the keyblades the keyblades yes which of course like i I remember i had this grand project i want to make my own like life-size keyblade oh my god so i was collecting all these toilet rolls I didn't tell my mom. I should have told my mom because she threw it all away. Because <laughs> yeah, she thought so it was like, rubbish. This is from a project. <laughs> from a project. But it was too late. Like, and I was just like, you know what? I can't accumulate that much toilet roll. Again, that was like a year's worth, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I just abandoned it. Um, but then there's the... It's the gummy ship. Yes. So the, the gummy ship... Actually built like a replica using like tissue boxes and stuff like that. And then like go around and like, go around the house, run around and play, you know, like pretend it's, you know, going to an asteroid field or whatever. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you did that a lot. Yeah. As a kid, well, that was always like a, mm, mm. very much part of my consciousness. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. I, but it's interesting because apart from maybe your dad and in this business of art, mm. your yeah. two sisters don't currently do anything like... Art isn't their career. Art is not their career. Right? Art's that a thing they do. Like like you said, they didn't they didn't put weight to it. Yeah. But just like your father, <laughs> you've made art your career. I did. I did. <laughs> it's one 
of the things actually have been um, really having to confront the past three years, more so the last year, is my relationship with my father mm. and how much I actually mimic him. Like I even look, I'm, among the three of us, I look closest to him. And so every time, I, yeah. every time I shave my head bald, I look exactly like him. <laughs> Which, you know, it's like, it's this kind of that one thing like I, and he's the epitome of everything that I do not want to become as a person, mm. you know, in terms of like morals and, and, and behaviors. And, and, and he is a byproduct of a horrible system that is brought about by this country against the Indian people, especially those who come from poor backgrounds. And he came from a very poor family. Who he is, is kind of inevitable. Him and his side of the family, you know? So, and it's this level of damage that you know that you cannot be helped. But then also at a time where we are, when, when we came about, is also no excuse. There's also no excuse for change, right? But then I had already kind of internalized so many things. And even if it's not, even if it's not his thinking or his um, beliefs, it's the way I walk um, or it's the way I talk. And that one I have to give props for, the, my ability to speak and my ability to yeah, articulate and stuff like that comes from him. He's a very articulate man and he is a very good orator, a very good storyteller. And that was always a thing because he's a businessman, right? He kind of yeah. has to. But I remember like I have these very clear memories um, whenever we host like dinner parties and stuff like that. There's a whole lot of performance, which is probably where the acting comes in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like we had to like, yeah, perform as his family, right? You know, like he's, he, this is the CEO. This is his wonderful family of well-achieving children. And, you know, and so we had to always like read up about the news and stuff we have to be smart sound smart so then when his partners or like whoever he's trying to close a deal with talks to us then you know we can impress and they'll be like oh you know and so then he'll have all these like great tales about him and his youth or you know or us as kids which a lot of it like at least 50% would be fabricated or like blown way out of proportion but it was just the way he can deliver it is so convincing and he can really hold the floor down that people love him People really mm. love him, you know? And so it's this interesting, like, learning from a young age a different kind of art too. This art of being, of performance, and that people can, in, in a way, an audience member right, watches theatre and you as a maker can have a specific idea and you can put out a specific thing, but they may not necessarily get in. Mm. They will absorb a completely different experience. That was kind of like my father, you know? He, everything that was made and everything that built up to him as a person is traumatic and, and it is painful. And it is also a story of resilience and, and transcendence, you know? And also this, this great story of success but also a really heartbreaking story of love. But all you will get is the suave, funny businessman, you know? Mm. And it's just this, yeah. And so it's kind of this, knowing that I also do that, I also have that ability to present myself in a certain way. People know me as certain ways. Not everyone kind of knows me as this more hermity person, uh, which you know, because you spent a whole year with me in 2019. But like, 
Yeah, and, and, and then like, and sensing that, you know, because like the art scene has all these different circles, right? Mm. And then, and then because it's my career now, that I am moving to different circles and I'm like, oh, oh, you have actually this very specific memory of me. You think I am this kind of person, you know, and everything that I have benefited or in within my career, within these spaces is because of what you think of me. And so even the opportunities presented is based on what you think I am. Right. And, and yeah, and that, and that has always been how my dad operated in the world. And, and then realizing that, oh, fuck, okay, <laughs> I did actually absorb that, mm. absorb that lens. Um, and needing to actually really reflect and, and dismantle, you know, it's not the most healthiest thing, but it's definitely something that's practiced and that other people practice as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've talked a bit about, so we're talking about art and you've gone into this idea of the different circles mm. you know, that you uh, mingle with, but the different circles are also tied to the different mediums. Yes. Right? Yes. So let's, let's talk about mediums for a bit. Just for mm. our audience, um, what are the mediums you currently play with? visual arts although mm-hmm. that's quite broad um, and if I want to be more specific then it's gouache watercolour and digital painting and and there is the installation we have been dabbling with that a little bit <laughs> but I won't call it yet I won't call it yet because it's still new so I'd say these two mediums traditional and digital um, and then there's poetry and theatre yeah mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how do you... So I think my curiosity is always the fact that... Because I, I, as, as an artist myself, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find like different mediums that I can play with and exploring that, right? Mm. But you seem to have found a way to sort of center yourself in these three distinct mediums very strongly. Mm. Was that conscious? No. Hmm. No. I think of it as... Think of it as being the avatar, right? Last okay. Avenger reference. This idea that um, learning traits, right? When you learn something new, when you know, learn a new bending, right? You learn its basics, but it's also how then the bending takes to you, you know? So it's not really you trying to fit yourself into a mold. It's this... or. And the sound of it feels like it's this one-way relationship, but it's not. So even the way I sit within visual arts isn't like how the next person would, Mm. you know? It's this... It wasn't conscious because it was this idea of I need to do a thing. I want to do a thing. I see that this medium is the best way to do the thing. Mm. I want to create fire. Fire bending is the most logical thing to do. And so then I learn it. Okay. You know? and, and for those who have not watched Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender, uh, maybe to explain Vesha's bending reference, um, the Avatar in that story is somebody who masters all four elements. Yes. Right? And in that world, mastering of that element is an ability called bending. Yes. Right? Utilizing and playing with it. Okay. So that's interesting. So would you say to a certain extent then, since you've made the reference, you basically are bending mm-hmm. <laughs> these three mediums. Yeah. Right? You have poetry, you have theatre, and you have visual arts. Yeah. Um, and I think you, like you say, you could possibly break down visual arts, right? You yeah. go digital, traditional, that sort of a thing. Um, I guess, and you've, you've ventured into it a little, this idea of 
letting it flow into the right container mm. or medium of mm. choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but how was that? Is that something that you've always had? Like, is it easy? Like, the moment you think of a project, immediately you know, oh, this project is best suited for this medium. Mm. Or does it require a bit of play and exploration? Okay, fine. Uh, play and exp- it, it depends. Mm. It does depend. Okay. Okay. So, like, in terms of um, so with visual arts, so as a kid, yeah, like you know, I, I drew a lot. Um, and then there's also pendidikan seni in school, right? Which I failed. Really? Yeah, I failed every year. It was bad. How do you fail pendidikan seni? I didn't know the color. Pendidikan seni or or arts, <laughs> the, art, the arts. That's what it's called. What yeah. you know the color? I didn't. Yeah, like my mom had to tell me you go in one direction, and then um, but I couldn't figure it out. I just like I couldn't figure out how like these other kids did it, because they would like make real, real work, like real pieces of art. You know, it's incredible. I just couldn't hack it. I just didn't understand. It just never really turned out. Like I. Yeah, I so I always I just always got C and below. I never got an A. It was really bad. And so then and because then I had these classmates who were just like really brilliant, you know. And so then when I looked at them, I was like, yeah, I'm never going to be like this, right? And so that was a real choice for me to go. I'm going to study illustration for video <laughs> game design. <laughs> that was a real choice. Uh, and but the reason being is because I was so in love with this particular game, and this particular series called The Elder Scrolls. Mm, okay. It's brilliant. It's such a masterpiece. But it wasn't. It wasn't just the art and the art of the game, the concept art of the game that got me. It was the creation. Mm. So the first. Like my first instance of Elder Scrolls was Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Okay. It was in PC. It's not. It's not a game for kids, uh. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. But my uncle clearly didn't see the the maturity. M. Yeah, <laughs> maturity. He just bought it, and it was the game of the year edition. So it came with the the add-ons. It was for PC, and and it's it's a brilliant game. Such good storytelling. But the one thing that really like blew my mind is that the game. Has um, yeah, or there are all these cheats you can do on PC la. So you know, one of the cheats is you can type in COC testing hall, and it takes you to within. It's like almost like the storage facility of the game. So any item, all items, and all costumes and all weapons, everything that is a component of this video game will be found in these rooms. So of course the developers use this as a way to like track and you know. And so you can go in and then basically if you like don't want to like look for stuff, like you don't want to go through the hassle, you can just type COC testing on and then take the weapon and go back into the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did, it's obviously. Like next level <laughs> hacking of a game. It's like it's one of like the first things you learn how to mess with 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 uh, with Bethesda games. But then so I go in there's this one room which was books. And I didn't like think about it, right? Until one day I was like, you know, I wonder what's in all these rooms. I go into the book room and there must be at least a million, a million books. And they are legit books. Like someone in the developing team sat down and wrote short stories, novels, history, memoirs, diaries, erotica, which is great. (laughs) The Lusty Maiden. Uh, this Ar- Lusty Argonian Maid. Yes. Uh-huh. I think they're like six volumes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Oblivion fans, please correct me. Uh, but yeah, there's like... That blew my mind. You know, it's this attention to detail. Mm. 
and then the attention to the religion, right? And there's this, these two opposing religions, the uh, attention to race and the politics of race. You know, it, they basically took everything that exists in our world, took it seriously and they made sure it was in this. That's what w- was so good. That's what made it so good, you know? And the ability to be part of that, that kind of world building to me was just like, why would you not want to be in it? Mm. You know, and like, and I... I already have the fascination for art. I was thinking, okay, this is how I get into it. Concept art, you know? And so when in learning, I went to one academy. I had really, really good lecturers. That one for for sure. And so visual, but like, you know, I like in school, was not a great student. Uh, was really slow. Really slow. Took me a long time. Only within like year two, then I started getting a hang of things. But that discipline of needing to like they were quite rigorous that so my my assignments I would have to do like um like forty different anatomy studies oh and wow. then like twenty portrait studies which would be due like three days after the assignment is given to you kind of thingy and then even and then even like with learning like coming up with like rough concept art or like you know it was very heavy but my lecturers always reinforce this idea of finding finding your own niche into it you know and so if it isn't necessarily like um there isn't a, like there isn't this one way of learning how to paint digitally we can give you these tools but you find the way to use them that fits you right you know there's a sense of individ- individuality that they kept um trying to cultivate, you know? And then I remember my anatomy lecturers forcing us in year two to get sketchbooks, but not for school, not for class or anything. It's just for us to draw whatever we want so that they know that we, we kept our creativity alive or we kept our mm. sense of individuality alive. And so they will actually check, <laughs> like, you know, like, why haven't you drawn today? What's wrong? That will be always the question, how are you? Is, is everything okay? Are you okay? You know, and that was like their measure. And so then when we, when we learned watercoloring, um, it was very much, even in the way that they taught us, it wasn't um, so much technique as in much, as much as more of like a spiritual class. So she, the, one of the very first lessons is that the water is its own living creature. You mm. cannot tell it what to do. Mm. You cannot force it to do something it doesn't want to do. You have to learn to work with it. And if you're angry, if you're upset, it will show. Right. So it depends on what kind of painting you want. You want an angry painting? You can paint angry. But the best work comes when you have peace within yourself. And so, God. <laughs> and so it's, it's, no, okay. So it's, it sounds so uh, equal parts playful. Yeah. But also incredibly spiritual. Yes. Right? There's like this whole internal world that you're exploring through your art. Yes. Hmm. And so then, like, and because it was so rooted in the self, my entire training has always been rooted in the self. That's how then coming into the medium wasn't hard. Okay. It wasn't as hard. Learning to, or making work that was to a certain level or standard that they wanted was hard. Hmm. But to use it or to still make art with it wasn't, that wasn't the issue, you know? And so it was this, especially with watercolor, it, it took me some time to understand it because it was such a medium change. Like from gosh, gosh, which is very like, um, it's it's dark to light 
in terms of the way you paint, you know, you always do the dark shades first. It's very like sure, uh, thick strokes. With watercolour, you go light to dark and it's this fluidity, mm. you know, and sensitivity. And so like from something that was really like brawny to something that was a bit more slender and, and skillful. Felt that was so that took time to settle in my brain or settle in my fingers. But once it once it settled in a way that made sense to me, then it you know it became this other thing entirely. And so it, and it was the same with poetry, because as a result of spending like three years in college, only find my imagination only manifesting visually. I forgot how to write and speak. Mm. Like, I couldn't speak the way I used to speak. I wasn't as eloquent anymore. I My writing also wasn't as great. There wasn't, like, I didn't know words. And then I didn't have time to be reading. So I wasn't, like, cultivating that. And poetry, because there is no pressure, like, the free form has no pressure to be a certain way, mm. become a certain thing. Sentences don't have to be, like, a proper sentence, basically. Yeah. You can bake them whenever you want. It doesn't mm. have to make sense. To me, it was more of a practice of putting words together that then helped me regain the art of writing, you know? And then I found my little in, right? So the in was poetry, but then the big in was my identity mm. of being Indian and, and my relationship to God. And then that finding in its way then becomes my style. And then now that's like my, that's how I flowed in and that's how it becomes me. And so it's this, in a way, is both, so when I look at a project and then I see that, okay, um, it might be better to for it to be completely uh, project like pro- projection mapping, right? And that's something like I have no idea to do. I like right now don't know how to do, right? Uh, and so what I would do, I will probably contact someone who knows how to do it, right? At this point now, I'm a bit more interested in collaboration versus like learning everything and doing it by myself. I think that is so much value to another person in the room, another head, you know, in the creative process. But talking to them, learning, finding what part of the learning is then similar to anything that I've learned before, like any of those like particular references or laws. Yeah, Mm. like, you know, design principles, basically. And then using that to apply and then finding my way in. Okay. You know? Okay. It's this, I'm constantly curious, but I'm also, I also understand I, I will not know everything. I will not learn everything. The same way that, like, I am, I will not be able to, at least right now, I definitely cannot paint the way that Bethesda needs, you know, for concept art. I'm not there yet. Yet. So I understand that it's something I can get to if I were to, you know, establish like a, a discipline, get the resources, right? Speak to people, go for classes and, you know, and do that. I can definitely get there if you work, if I work on it, you know? In the same way, like my very first semester, my lecturer told us, anyone can draw. And it's true. Anyone can draw. You draw a stick figure that's considered drawing. Is whether you then choose to spend the time to learn what the muscle grouping is, how it sits, what's the perspective that will then change what that means for you. But can anyone draw? Can everyone draw? Yes. So I believe it's the exact same way, you know? And looking at the project, looking at the way it sits, if something is very fluid, 
poetry feels like maybe the better medium, gets to hold a lot of things at the same time. Okay, maybe a particular style of poetry. I don't really know it. Maybe I'll talk to this person who does practice it and then I'll learn it as they go along. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's there's two tangents here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go in the direction of spirituality first. Mm. Um, the way you talk of creativity um, in this conversation, as well as when we are having our conversations, um, feels very spiritual. Mm. Is that true? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about. So if it is spiritual, mm. um, and it it's it's almost like would you would you even so go so far to say that they're the same? Creativity and spirituality. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And how does that work for you? Okay. So because think, you've, yeah, sorry. Right. I mean, to give the, the, the this, this idea, because earlier you said how um, this understanding of religion and God is, is the way you sort of like step into poetry, right? Mm. Right. So you've, you've gone there already. Mm. So I, I guess the question is, how is creativity spiritual for you? Mm. Uh, and how does that work? Okay. So I think this I think that um my my watercolor training is a big reason why this is true. Uh because I needed to be I needed to be well inside in order to paint. Mm. If I was not, it was just not going to turn out. And I cannot afford to have bad paintings. So I guess my semester depends on it. <laughs> so, you know? But but also it was just the I think, but also that eventually that class wasn't as, like that first year when we were learning it, I wasn't great. Memang, like, you know, skin of my teeth passed. But then after that, the, sub- the subsequent year, it wasn't, it was combined with another. So it didn't take the whole weight of the credit. And knowing that, my lectures then made it this moment of, of like respite. Or well, that's how they tried to make it, you know? And so I was allowed the space to then actually really check in myself. If I cannot paint today, I have no pressure to submit something right now. I can tell the lecturer that and they'd be like, okay, as long as, you know, it comes in on a certain day, that is fine. You know, being able to, being conscious at the fact that my art does depend on how well I am, seeing that that is true as well. Right on days that when I am feeling confident about myself, I'm feeling confident about who I am, why I'm here, why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I somehow do better also in my assignments. So they'd come out, come off a little better. Knowing that that is true, that it's almost like this, yeah, it's this weirdly undeniable fact. Also that when you create, you are giving a part of yourself. That one you can't really run away from, you know, you even if you try to be as objective as you can, right? You can say that this project is research-based. I am basing it out of um, stories and transcripts of other people who I did not censor, did not edit. However you got them to tell your story, whatever questions you ask to lead into it is from your lens is a part of you. Mm. It's a part of your internal turmoil or joy that has led you into this, you know? It's whatever your relationship is to to your community, to the ground that you walk on, to your sense of God, if you believe in God. If you don't believe in God, then what are the questions you're asking about your existence? How that shapes the way you then approach your work. 
mm. you know. An atheist would have a very different relationship to watercoloring, right? Mm. But there is, but the way it sits is in that same space that it sits with me, right? It doesn't use the same language, you know. It doesn't sit, or yeah, the language changes, but it sits in the same place. So it's that being conscious of that, knowing that in the end, if I were to really deconstruct my entire process, it still goes back to how do I feel in this universe that we are in here. You know, and then the rest of it is just is just costuming, really, yeah, or layering. If you think of it in a watercolor sense, <laughs> yeah, that that one little class I took in Photoshop that makes sense. Layering, I get it. I got the reference. Yeah. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm I'm also thinking if anyone is a student who's listening who isn't necessarily an arts student, mm. um, who maybe just has to like write research or like articles and things like that, is probably thinking, "Wow, I thought arts was easy." No, <laughs> because yeah, because the way you yeah. describe it, how there's this like need to like your internal then projects on the external, right? Mm. Like you could be depressed and finish an article, yeah, right, or an essay or a thesis. Yes. Whereas like if you were depressed, I don't know what that would look like for your art, right? No, and you can still come up with art. Mm. You know, that's the thing. You can, in that same respect, you can still be depressed and have amazing pieces of work. Van Gogh, for example, mm. right? Van Gogh, during his time, not considered great. Considered mm. great now. Yeah. Right? But even in his mind, the way he looked at his own work, it was this, it was conflicted, right? Even the, the person who writes that, that paper, that thesis, at the end of it can go, this is not my best. Yeah. You know? Or it's like, you know, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling great, so I didn't really write this part well, right? Mm. But then whoever's reading the thesis may or may not actually see that. May still find it like still solid, good research in the same way that people look at your art and go like, oh, this is solid, good research. But that process of writing, whatever that person would have struggled to try to churn it out, mm. same thing would have happened for the artist as well, right? Yeah. To bring themselves to the, the way to, the way you yeah. bring yourself to the computer, to bring yourself to the canvas, right? To force out the word, to force out that stroke. You know, you don't really know what you're doing. The same way you don't really know what you're writing, but you bought it anyway. You have a concept, you have a framework in your head, you try. Mm. You know, and you go through all the drafts mm. all the time until finally you're like, okay, this, you know, either time is up or you feel like you've got a semblance of it or boli jalanna, and then you submit. You know, it's the same, it's the same process. It's the same process of living, actually. And it's interesting because we would. It's funny how we think that there are things that there are e- that are easier than others. Mm. When it's not true, it's just difficult in a different sense. Yeah, you know, and the gravity of that difficulty will exist in the exact same way. Mm. So, if you were to ask the artist to write the thesis, might be very hard, right? But it's because they are having to either it's something new. In the same way that the thesis writer asks them to make a painting, very hard because it's something new. But that process and that learning and that journey, it's going to mimic each other and mirror each other in so many ways. The same way you ask them to write the thesis, boli chen out, like next day, done. Artist, boli chen out, next day, done. Same process. Mm. Yeah. I, I think maybe what I was sort of getting at was this idea that um, you don't, like with art, it requires a little bit more self 
in a process self-awareness mm. in a process mm. like in the sense like you said right it's this checking in that sometimes is very important in mm. this creation process mm. whereas like say somebody who's preparing a report mm. doesn't have to do that mm. do you know what i mean like they don't need it they like they could just they could technically theoretically churn yeah. out a report right right without having to check in with self right and even in art i imagine you could you do could. it without having to check in itself but when an artist actually checks in with themselves mm. that colors the output it does right that it produces is. something entirely different it does which yeah. is so interesting because that again it's that internal having to then color the external mm. right mm. Mm-hmm. so i guess then my question to you vesha is what happens when you're writing characters how oh, do man. characters come to you characters in theater characters in short story prose whatever how do these external people come to you then So it's interesting. I do believe any art or anything anything that you make I would consider art, right? Whatever you make because it comes from a part of you, there is you. Mm-hmm. You know? So even in the characters that I come up with or have written, there are reflections or parts of me that have been projected, sometimes idealized. Sometimes I write a character who I wish I could be. in that moment you know i wish i said this thing in this scenario and and so i rewrite the whole thing i would revisit the memory but with this almost idealized version of myself or the idealized version of my opponent right and make mm. them like so ridiculous and stupid and right. i'm the great an one alternate reality <laughs> right an yeah. alternate reality um that's i mean that sometimes i i'd say most of the time that yes you know there are pieces of me and their fragments but it's also very much the larger world as well it's people who i interact with it's people who i observe you know sometimes it's this like i would sit in uh, this i happened a lot in college because i would eat in the mama a lot and it was like my staple right and i sat i would sit in the mama and then i'll see like like these you know old old couples that come in and then and then i just observe and 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 because a lot of my training Uh, during the earliest for foundation there's a lot of real world observation you have to sketch life and draw life and so this idea of watching and not well, memorizing of sorts happens so i would look at a person and then i would memorize the way they speak the way they look at things they view things wonder what kind of history would have happened to make a person this way you know and if i find that intriguing then i might take that and then turn it into a character um yeah so it's also the these it's mixed in that sense sometimes it's just kind of out of the blue like i'll just you know like i'll be thinking of something completely different and then i think about what if there was a person who was this thing you know what if there was a person who is the color blue what is that right you know how would i how would i challenge whatever narrative that people have about the color blue it being sad what if the character is the most extroverted person you have ever met what does that mean right And so uh, it comes I I guess in a way I could condense it to three it's either projections of myself and idealized versions of myself it is from my surroundings and whatever I find interesting people and characteristics and then it's also these 
how can I how can I con like contrast and oppose stereotypes that I know and that you know sometimes it doesn't actually end. like I'm not always successful sometimes like there there are real limits to my imagination and I don't know how to push them right but then in that entire exercise then I learn I go, I'll go back to these other characters that I've written and go like hey what if they then thought of these things this way right or become these people um yeah and so it's this the way I the way I make my characters is similar to then these principles that I have with visual arts except that you know they are people but the only tricky thing is that because they are people I don't I won't really know them I don't have full control the way I would have control over my painting mm. you know there's a set image right Sometimes it doesn't get there, but then there is a set image. I do have control, like technically, but with a character, because I am limited to my own understanding and experiences of human beings, I cannot necessarily write them the way they need to be written, the way they are supposed to be written in the story. Because in this story, I do not have enough resources to to have the foresight to know what happens in the end. Mm. You know? And that has always been tricky. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this so I'm I'm jumping I'm keeping the still this idea of like self and creation, mm. but I'm jumping to theater now. Mm. Um how do you then create a character? Mm, so it depends. Uh. It depends on on the process. It okay. depends on the project. Okay. It depends on what's being called. Okay. For, you know, like um, so with devise work, devise work. You do. It's always there are parts of you that always kind of come in. That's mm. kind of like the nature of devising. Um, as much as you could hide it, right, in making them respond to things or, um, using other characters from other plays and then maybe like you know rehashing them and stuff like that you're still it's whatever or the concept of devising is you as a maker with all your beliefs and all of your prejudice approaching a material so of course there will be some kind of transference um but with but there's a bit more um a bit more clinical about it hmm. so and, and I mean, it does also, depending on the project, um, to which my battle half was difficult for me because there was no clarity in the character. There's no clarity on what is expected of me as a divisor. It wasn't stated or wasn't made clear whether I am myself as Vesha, as a person who lives in this world, as a queer person, or am I supposed to be performing of like a, a characterized Vesha? It has my name, but it's not actually me. Right, that was never made clear. I struggled, mm. um, and and I think for our listeners, to which my brother laughed was a show that opened in KLPAC, the Kuala Lumpur mm. Performing Arts Center, at the beginning of 2019, mm. and was done in response to the caning of two women in Trengganu. Yes, okay. yes, you know, and so it's so it muddied the water. Versus the first time I ever devised still taming, that was stories that came from us. They were personal stories, but then the characters, it was this third-person view of our own memories, right? And so then the characters, however they interacted within the scene, become their own thing, 
you know and so then I'm embody again it's a the embodying feels separate for me even though I'm conscious that I know there are parts of me but because the way they manifest what happens to them all the sequences are already so set and there is an end to what happens to them that then I can say that is not my life or that mm. is not me so I am performing a character I am stepping out of myself I am then walking into this thing you know uh yeah so okay. yeah okay so we've talked a little bit we've talked quite a bit about stepping into things um stepping into medium stepping into characters mm. um stepping into the creation of characters mm. how do you step out <laughs> of a character i haven't figured this out yet hmm. to be honest i haven't figured this out yet which is bad okay. that's the one that like as men- like mental health for an actor it's very important to be able to step in and step out of your process or like especially when it comes to show day lah you know rehearsals it's kind of okay you know you're all trying to figure it out together but the problem is especially if the show is hard if it's traumatic or difficult emotionally if you're not able to redeem parts of yourself to go home and sleep yeah i like so i never I learned this the hard way. No one really tells you these things, you know. Um, so the first time I kind of had my had this experience was with Four Forty Eight Psychosis, which was by Theatre Source. Which was by Theatre Source. It opened in twenty eighteen. Seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah, end of twenty seventeen. It was uh, oh, the right. first run was in October, and then we came okay. back in November. Yeah. Okay. In December. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, uh, so that, and that piece, it's a very heavy piece. It was Sarah Kane's last work before she killed herself. She killed herself right after writing it. The whole thing is about her psychosis and the fact that she would wake up without fail every day at 4.48 a.m. And these things, these voices would come at her. And the entire play, the, the script itself, it is just a wall of text. There is no stage directions. There are no set characters, nothing. And so in the in the version that I was in, my director had a very specific uh, visual idea as well. And so I was one of the voices and also the therapist that she would fall in love with. Um, and I wasn't her, which is probably the most, which is the most taxing character. But I had to become her thought. Mm. I was the physical manifestation of her thoughts and so then the movement was grotesque that's how I busted to my knees now uh, <laughs> and like it was this it was an incredible becoming but then because it was so immersive and I really did not anticipate how immersive that then when I was out of the theatre I realised I still was holding these grotesque thoughts uh, and at the time, I wasn't also doing well, like in terms of my mental health. But surprisingly, working on that show helped make sense of so many things that were going in my own mm. head. But because that was happening, then there wasn't a sense of separation. I was genuinely already relating and bringing things back, and it would came to a point where then I would like. I would have like all these uh, panic attacks and, and, and severe anxiety, and the only way that I could get out of it was burning paper. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it's maybe that meditation, mm. this watching. There's a stillness to to so much destruction, which if you think about four forty eight, in its in essence is a stillness, is the destruction in stillness. You know, in a person's body inside their mind. Um, yeah, and, and so only 
it was difficult. I had to like ask a lot of actors, like, what what do you do? What are the things you do? And the problem is there is no set way. And mm. then I discovered for myself is that it changes per project. So burning paper didn't help for um, the next one. I think, and and the next one was was Twitch. My brother laughed. No, and that's yeah. Then that was and that was emotionally taxing. And then because that was no no clarity, I had nothing to step out with actually. I could. I never stepped out. It was just this slow leaving of my body, and because it was such a real experience, right? This two women who were also queer, and knowing that that is a reality that may not happen to me, but will happen to the people I love. Yeah, I. I actually. Yeah, I've not cracked it, and mm. I don't think I would crack it anytime soon. You know, it's. Is this weird? Uh, and I think, also, I think the reason why I won't crack it is because of the way I approach art making. Mm. Because I acknowledge and already believe that art is an extension of myself. The self is always involved. I I can't step out of myself, and I am instead now being taking ownership of the fact that. I said yes to this project. I said yes to this exploration. I already know what my relationship is to my own creative process. If bringing back is something that I do, that's something that I can't necessarily walk away from, then I need to learn how to manage it instead. Okay. How to make it my friend okay. versus then going into this turmoil. So stepping out is not for me. Instead, it's kind of like a Processing and then just how to make it not, how to not make it harm you, you know? I don't have to let them go. Because I think there was, there was, there has been great benefit in holding all these characters in my body and, and has given me a lot of perspective in life, a lot of perspective on people and the way I view and, and, and see things and then influence all my other questions and all my other art practices that I wouldn't want to, it feels, dismissive and diminishing to go like okay i'm out it's gone it's in a box and it's far away and i'll never get back to it you know it it reduces the the impact of the entire process and i like to hold that impact you know and yes and so yes of course you can argue you can definitely argue and say they might not be healthy mm-hmm. and and it's true but i believe that there is a way, there's a way, you know, there's a way around it. It's the way I will see it, right? So right now I think of, of to which my brother love being as this very emotionally taxing process, right? And true, but then it was the most fun I ever had on stage, mm-hmm. you know? And it also taught me a lot of different ideas to devising, different methods and different, um, different philosophies of making. And you know having to deal with a huge ensemble i've never been in an ensemble that big before you know and 14 people 13 people 14 14 of you yeah 14 you know and i mean still taming was oh still taming was bigger still taming was 18 <laughs> but then because still taming we weren't all of us weren't on stage at the same time mm. in this case we were always together you know and it's this there's so many other benefits to it so if i tell myself i can I can think of it two ways. I can think of it as this like really long three months that led to this wonderful thing but made me have panic attacks 
every night during 18 minutes where there's this moment of silence and the drummer, Afi, would then hit his drum and mimic the caning, the strokes of the cane. I can think of it as just the, that moment, mm. that 18 minutes and how it wrecked me. Or I can think of it as this three long months of genuine creativity of meeting different people who you wouldn't call artists but still made art mm. the way they thought and and spoke the amount of fun we had right and and how that uh, that has forever changed me you know mm. and so it's and that already changes the way it sits in my body mm. yeah you could call it a stepping out but i feel it stepping out there's a sense of closing off and a sense of removal and I don't think that's what I do okay yeah let's let's try this then I'm gonna I, I know I know I get what you mean about your process but I'm gonna try mm. I'm gonna try and force a prescriptive answer yeah um, and let's see so let's assume I come up to you uh. and I'm like Vesha I'm playing this role uh. um, and I need you to give me the first thing that comes to mind okay. the first advice you can give me okay. for stepping in and out of character Okay, fine. Okay. Um, can you give me an example of a character? Um, yeah. Okay, so let's say I'm playing a character that is completely the opposite of me. Okay. Okay? okay. So I'm, I'm possibly playing... Okay. Uh, yeah, let's go with opposite. This character is the complete opposite of me. Okay. Uh, but I have to play this character every night. Okay. And I would like some advice okay. on how to step in and step up. Okay. What would you say? Okay. Okay. Damn. <laughs> That's, that is okay. Which is okay. Interesting. Okay, stepping in might be easier. Okay. Um, stepping in might be easier because as an actor, you are a conduit. Mm. You are an empty vessel. You host this character that you are playing. It's not actually you. It has its own life and it has a beginning, middle or an end that it will live out and and it will die. And if it irks you so much, whatever your philosophy is, then take joy in the fact that you don't hold those philosophies personally, mm. right? And have that kind of security and confidence. Because if, if you're insecure about playing a thing, it means you're insecure about yourself. Hmm. You're insecure about who you are as a person and you're afraid that this is going to change you, that you're going to become an awful human being. If that is the case, then I'll ask you to sit back and ask that question. Why do you feel that you will become an awful being? What is, what is happening there? Because once when you know yourself, you know that you're not this creature that when you play it, you can play it with so much honesty because it's not, it's not a risk. You have no risk as a human being, as a person, right? Your character has risk within the story, but it's not you. So I think it's this, if, there is, if the divide is so big, don't look for the, don't look for the, the ways that you can, that you are them. Look for the ways that you aren't and then, Take joy in the fact that you don't. Enjoy the fact that you aren't that person, you know? And so play it with that kind of joy. Um, empathy is a big thing, yes. You can empathize with a character and you need to in order to 
in, in one way so that you can see through the actions that they that they do take but em- empathizing and sympathizing are two different things mm-hmm. you can empathize and you can see the rationale of a person's choices that doesn't mean you have to agree with them okay so that's stepping in how that's do you stepping step in Inherently the same thing. Mm. So using the difference as a way to step out of this character. Yeah. Again, going back to that, right? How could you come in with knowing the fact that you're not this person? How can you come out knowing the fact that you're not this person? Mm. Because if, like in the case of psychosis, I was having a tough time mentally. So stepping out was, yeah, difficult because there were all these resonances, too many things that were too close to me. I couldn't go and I couldn't say that that is not me. I really could not. Same thing with Twitch My Brother Laughed. I am queer. Mm. I do love women. I do run this risk, right? I I know people who have gone through this, you know? I I know the activists who are there in the courtroom. It's too close to me. I don't leave this world. This world is my present, <laughs> you know? What is happening on stage is still what is happening outside. But if your character is not that then you're okay. Hmm. You know, you, you know, if this is, you don't share this world with your character, it's not real, then t- take that joy, understand it is not real, and come back, right? Fine, it, it could be like a sing- single thing. I know a lot of people do this. It could be a certain object hmm. that they have um, that they would just kind of like hang on to and play with. And it could be within their costuming or something that they put into the character it's the way they walk or the way they talk a certain slur or slang um it could be a little pin on the costume or whatever they wear where they know like only this person would ever have this ever so the moment that they take it off they take it off because they wouldn't wear it any other day any other reason and that would be the way i think object i think objects linking to objects is probably the easiest way to step out Mm. because it's physical yeah to do it mentally can be challenging Right? So, and especially if you're tired and stuff, then it might be difficult. So then find an object, find a way you could, you know, talk to your director, especially. That's the most important thing, too. Your director will understand. They are also in the theater. They would have had to deal with this at some point or another. Directors need to step out. And the difficulty about directors is that they can't actually, because they need to work on it, you know? So all the more talk to them. Because they would know, however they've managed to survive the six or one year you've been rehearsing and they're still functioning, whatever secret they have, ask them. Okay. Yeah? Okay. But yeah, I think linking to objects. Uh. All right. Okay. Find an object. Cool. Um, and as, as someone who actually knows you, and I know you are constantly questioning, right? You are constantly playing with questions. Um, what is one question that you are currently playing with? Hmm. It's a bit hard. I think okay. they're, they're like, it's not, there's not one question. Okay, okay. Yeah. How many questions are there? Let me think, okay. There is a, whether I'm a good person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. Oh, one, one, it's the hardest one, isn't it? Or in the sense, or, or how this manifests is, can I, am I capable of love? Okay. That, that's one. Um, am I capable of uh, love and being loved is, is, is one. Um, of course, I'm capable of being loved, but whether I have the ability to reciprocate. Mm. Okay. Do I understand what reciprocation means? Is is one. Um, 
am I am I my father? Is that a good thing? Mm-hmm. Um, is one. We're coming full circle. We're coming full circle. Um, how? What is? I okay. Yeah, I think this is the most persistent one. What are the spaces I take up? How does my being affect the rest of the world? And that means in the most minute level, that means climate change. It means migrant rights. It means um, privilege as well. And what can I do about it? Okay. Do I want to do anything about it? Do I want to acknowledge it? Do I want to hold its responsibility? Can I be completely honest with myself and still be okay? And if I can't be okay, what is my bias then that I can't let go of? Am I able to let go of everything that I have and still be happy? or still be sure of myself, and if I can't, does that mean that I have very much, I still rooted myself in the material, and why? Is that necessary? Is it possible to, to let this go? So yeah, I'd say that the biggest thing is that, how, how am I being in the world, and, and how that affects everything, that it means in my artistic practice, it means in my, the way I live, yeah. That's definitely persistent. Mm. Mm. That's a good question. Mm. This is a good question. Yeah, because I, I think of I think back to to Katrina's episode, right, and that she brought and she brings up the same question, right? What where have we been complicit, and what are we going to do about it, right? And it's this level of honesty that can be very, like, yeah, it, I mean, it can destroy you. It really can destroy you. Am I willing to see myself destroyed in the process? I feel like I've already done that to myself multiple times that I think I should be okay with it. Mm. Um, or like I've, yeah, like subconsciously, I've already done that to myself, you know? I am willing to do it. Because I feel like I don't want, I cannot, I cannot be ignorant. I feel like I've, I've seen too much to be ignorant. It feels, yeah, it just feels like a crime, you know? And I, and I have a complete obsession on being, on being the best person <laughs> and being good. And, and I want to go to heaven if that's a heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so I think it's not fear it's not fear of being on the wrong side of the coin. It's more of of knowing that I was, that I am conscious in doing something bad, you know? I, yeah, and, then, and I think that there is never an excuse when someone says, I didn't know. You did. It's whether you chose to acknowledge it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and hmm. yeah, and it's that you know, that persists. Hmm. So my executive producer Safwan just reminded me. I didn't ask the curry question, which is so disappointing in, in my own existence. <laughs> but but it's so interesting that this is the question I didn't ask Vesha at the beginning because 
when I was developing the show, um, we had this conversation and I said I wanted the curry question to be at the end. Mm. And you specifically said, no, 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 you should ask it at the beginning. Which is so interesting because when it came to your interview, <laughs> I forgot to ask it. So now yes. it's at the end. So I'm going to ask the question. Okay. Gesha, mm. <laughs> in your opinion, mm. where is the best curry? Okay, actually, I do have an answer. La. Liar. I do. You pretended you didn't have an answer. I okay, did. I did it. I did. I had to like, legit before I came here, I was like sitting at Starbucks. I'm like, Vesha, you need a good answer. <laughs> you cannot say mom. He's already chastised too many of his guests. You have to be like, please don't give me your mom as an answer. <laughs> yes. So, Go. Okay. Legit, Mohammed's. It's the se- in the center of town. It is right next to the post office. Which town? PD Town, sorry. Okay. Pottickson, yes. <laughs> in Pottickson. Okay. So Pottickson, the roundabout, you take your first exit. You go past the post office. It's really like right next to the post office. You can't miss it. It has the best curries like for everything. Okay, is that a full name? Mohammed? Is it just Mohammed? It's like rest- restaurant Mohammed. I feel like there's like other bits. Okay, but, but I, I feel know. like if you Google Restaurant Muhammad Podixen Should be fine la, should I'm be fine, sure, la, I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. Is it Muhammad with an E or Muhammad with an A? <laughs> you guys should have seen that look <laughs> If we had a camera, that would be a great shot It's like complete, utter confusion Oh no, okay, I'm going to say E Okay, cool I'm going to say it's E It's okay, I'm, I'm sure we'll figure it out Yeah, yeah, yeah Small matter, small matter Come and sit, I just wanted to be an <laughs> annoying best Just say, just, okay, just, you know Either A or E Mohammed, Port Dixon, Town Okay, cool Shouldn't be a problem cool. Fish, chicken, mutton, everything Wow Perfect the food wow. there is so good. The biryani is so good. I've been to PD so many times that you've never taken me. Of course not. My mother is the best. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Touche. Very nicely done. <laughs> I can send this episode to your mom as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh okay. God. Okay. And not to my dad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's do the meeting. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, this podcast is produced by PoetX, Malaysia's first ever poetry podcast. Check them out at PoetX Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And now, back to the episode. Olive-backed sunbirds. They are insistent, I tell you. Mornings here are never dull. Perhaps that's the nature of being next to vast open sea. You could never possibly get over the way the morning light streams into existence. This patient, gentle giant slowly clambering over the mountains, spilling its weight into the canopies, then the grassy plains, then sand, then the very tips of the waves. These birds, though, are quite the opposite. Without fail... From 8.30am to 6pm, the balcony is occupied by these three little birds, the way popular kids would occupy a canteen table. Unapologetic, boisterous, present, and impossible for you to not take notice. Their beaks are an obsidian black, long and thin like a fine claw. Their backs are a shimmering olive and their bellies as yellow as the morning that summons them. They swoop in from the trees below, usually together, 
Sometimes they'd send out a scout, you know, constantly communicating together. Some days, our plants serve as nesting resources and the birds coordinate an effort of gathering and export with one clear leader managing the in and out of dried leaves and twigs. Some days, they are friends, lazing by the table edges and railings, talking as friends would. I assume this. I do not speak bird. For all I know, they could be plotting the slow occupation of every unit in the apartment and therefore ousting the humans and returning it to nature. To which, I do not oppose. We deserve that. One thing I do know is the birds are curious folk. Every morning, whoever in my family wakes up first will open the balcony door and it's kept open until sundown and the mosquitoes become unbearable. And every day without fail, the three will try to fly in. They first creep to the nearest chair, peer into the door, and very slowly fly forward. Thanks to me, they've only ever made it to the frame and no further. But I would be lying to say if I wasn't curious to see what would happen too. Again, I assume here, but I might have an idea why they are so insistent. The apartment isn't a big one. The balcony sits directly opposite a huge mirror that reaches from the main door to the kitchenette. You could see everything from its reflection. The living room, the bookshelf, the balcony, the open sea. My guess, as many birds have ventured into the apartment in my lifetime, are curious about that other open sea, the one in the mirror. There have been one or two that were fatal in this quest. I was never there to witness a result of our own malpractice of leaving the balcony door open. The doors are tinted black from the outside. Had they been closed, the fallen birds would have been saved. Since then, we close them whenever we leave. These little birds, though? I think they see it as a challenge. Which of the three can come closest? And for my own selfish reasons, I am the mean ogre under the bridge so that I wouldn't have to deal with a panicking bird and I would shoo them away. But I take much delight in watching them go about their day. I sit on my sofa inside, hidden by the darkened glass doors, and watch as they endlessly take to the skies and return. This apartment used to be our weekend home before we moved in permanently five years ago after my mother's divorce. It was only in those five years that I've seen birds like these. I wondered and marveled. I knew they could not be sparrows because of their beaks, but they could not be hummingbirds because of their wing speed, though everyone insists. So finally, one morning, as the trio descended and began harvesting, I googled. Finally, they were named. Olive-backed sunbirds. Males wear a blue throat and females don't. Something clicked in me with warmth over the fact. This whole time... They were three female sunbirds, hunting together, playing together, defending together, curious together. It all seemed somewhat feminist to me, and I like to think my home to be a resourceful, safe and feminist space for everyone who comes through, even for these birds, with healthy boundaries, of course. Hmm. Now, I've, I've read this post when it was originally a Facebook post. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I remember being very fascinated by this journey. But now hearing you, you recite it and tell it again, um, 
that sense of wonder was captured again. Mm. Uh, I felt the sense of wonder, and I've, I've been to your place, so I'm, I'm I'm plotting it in my head. I'm plotting where the mirror is. I'm plotting where the birds come in. I'm plotting where that, uh, that <laughs> window is. <laughs> Uh, and I know there were all these like little moments, the choices you made to to play with your voice. Yeah, so very fascinating. Uh, <laughs> it made me smile. I know, I know, Safwan giggled at one point too. And it's like the thing about us when when we have guests performing or reading, it's like we constantly have to hold it in. We're like taha and hold it in. Don't show emotion, just so we don't want to disturb the flow. So very nice, very nice. And I think it's a great. Um, piece to sort of cap this conversation mm. right um and it's 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 a nice little feminist way of ending <laughs> this uh, like this 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 bit of the episode mm. um especially when we started with your dad yeah thanks dad <laughs> <laughs> like, fueling my creativity yeah, since i was like, a baby yeah even and he somewhat makes an appearance in this story <laughs> because of the divorce yes he does yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean, that's the thing you know that's the I had this debate with a friend of mine about this idea of suffering and that we need suffering to create art. Mm. That's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. You don't need suffering. You need questions. And what suffering does is that they do present the questions in this really harsh way. You know, it's not that a person or like for me, I had to deal with with this acute moment of life and death at one point when I was young with my dad, which someone would have had to deal with some other point in their life too, you know? It's just that we are then presented these questions at different points in our lives and then as artists, we have the tools to ask these questions. And to also, yeah, treat my father like he is this the, the ogre under the bridge <laughs> also then dismisses what he represents, which is really this historical reminder to why I ask the questions I ask in my work, you know, it's so that there, he wouldn't, there wouldn't be any more of him, you know? Yeah, so, in other words, thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should send him this episode. Um, <laughs> okay, wait, you brought up Chicago. Yes. Um, and I think when, by the time this episode comes out and our listeners are listening to it, you will be in Chicago. Tell them why. So, <laughs> so I have a project called Skin and Flowers. It was the very first project that I ever made um, that began when I actually started learning to watercolor. It is the, it's a multi-part, multidisciplinary exploration of sexuality and gender in Malaysia, inspired by the poetry of Naira Wahid and Dili Jamaluddin, who's a local poet. Um, and... And so, so much of the work in its early days had been responding directly to these pieces of poetry. Uh, some of it had been response to the two women who were caned. Uh, some to one in particular in response to the murder of Dinavin. And it's very rooted in, in the queer landscape, in the politics of the queer landscape. And the whole focus is to reimagine. But in the last few years, I felt that the reimagining wasn't sharp enough. There was no bite. And, and the visual language is also very commercial, you know, flowers and people and stuff like that. So I wrote a bunch of emails, sent it all over New York and Chicago. One replied, thank God, uh, a year and a half ago. Which is Hyde Park Art Center. And my entire pitch is to then take this language that I have built in Malaysia, bring it to Chicago look at the language that they have there and the way they articulate and what the bridges could be and so that could bring back something new. You know? Cool. Mm. 
Okay, it is rapid fire time. Yay! <laughs> okay, standard operating procedure. Okay. Um, the idea is to answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, it doesn't have to be one word or one sentence answers, but as quick as possible. Okay. Right. There's four questions. Mm. Uh, first question is for somebody who is starting out creatively, some kind of creative pursuit. Um, what creative advice would you give them? Believe in your work. Like really believe. I don't mean in this really like uh, like super like oh yeah believe in yourself. I don't mean it this way. I mean that push come to shove when someone holds a gun to your head and they ask you like will you die for your work? Say yes that you and when you say yes you mean it because that is what motivates you to to hustle for it to write the proposals to make the show happen to put the time and the effort. You have to believe in your own work. Otherwise, you cannot stand. If there is anything that your work can rely on, it has to be you. It has to be its maker. If you don't trust your work, then there is a question there that you really need to ask yourself. What is the point? What part of it? What point of it feels very insecure? And look into their insecurity. If the insecurity is yourself, then there's work that needs to be done and has to be done. Otherwise, it will affect. Hmm. As I have learned. <laughs> okay. Okay. And same person, uh, creatively pursuing something for the first time. What life advice would you give them? Ooh. Okay. Your work, as much as it is you, is not your whole life also. Mm. And that is important to keep in mind because there is, work is still work. You know, even if it's creative, even if it's wonderful and giving, it does require and things from you. It re- there is an expectation. There is there is kind of like a goal, as much as you try to like you know hide it or whatever language you use, and you need to know that this taken away from you, you are still a whole person. You are mm. still a person. That that kind of groundedness is important for yourself because in the end of the day, if there is no you, there is no work, but there is still you without the work and being conscious of that and carving out that for yourself. When someone asks you, how, how are you? To be able to respond about yourself and not about the project you're working on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, third question. What advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, you did so far without advice though, honey. <laughs> I joke, that's a lie. Of course, that's so much advice. I, uh, I thought you were going to say, don't ask dad for an iPhone. <laughs> don't, ask for, don't do a podcast and then like fucking like <laughs> berate him and then ask for No. <laughs> I think... What would I say to my younger self? Hmm. That is cheeky. That is yeah. That's cheeky. So yeah, my head is going to non-answers. I'm gonna force. I'm gonna. I'm gonna force myself. I'll no, maybe, myself. maybe the answer was that you've done so well without advice. I mean, which is which is not true, you know. But so I guess in that sense, right? You're okay, <laughs> or that you are kind of on the right track. Um, I think. But I think, I guess, one, you're... Okay, actually, no. First thing is you're gay. Uh, <laughs> save yourself the time. 
Okay? Don't waste your time with all those boys. You gay. <laughs> One. Two. <laughs> It's... Sometimes... Sometimes the people who you think should have all the answers because they're adults, because you're the youngest person in the room, don't necessarily have them. Sometimes the answers are within you. I would refer you to one of the final episodes in Avatar, The Last Airbender. <laughs> you should be able to watch it because you had Astro then. And that was Nickelodeon. But this episode, because Ang would meditate... And he would consult every avatar before him on whether he should kill the Fire Lord. Everyone said kill the Fire Lord. Everyone said they needed to do their duty. They needed to do what needs to be done. And instead of having someone validate, he became the person to validate himself. He did not kill the Fire Lord. He found another way around it. He removed his bending. So, Fesha... You don't need someone to validate you if you already know what is good for you. And just remembering that, yeah, as, as even, even though it gets so hard, it pays off. And I think before I ask the last question, I think it's important to say that Vesha just spoiled the entire ending <laughs> of like four or five ah! seasons of Avatar The Last Airbender. Three seasons I mean, and I'm fair, sorry. To be, fair, <laughs> to be fair, the show has been out for years. Okay? <laughs> I think it's been a decade. Forget whatever I said. So if it's you find that as a spoiler, you need help. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> If okay. I want to talk to, if I could talk to my younger self, that is two weeks before she watched the entire Avatar, I am so sorry. <laughs> okay, last question. Um, what advice would you give me? Oh my god! I I will whack you. <laughs> okay, this is very hard. First I, thing that comes to mind: one creative to another, one human being to another, person to another. Mm. Mm. I saw the answer arrive in your eyes. <laughs> Say it. Okay, okay, okay. I literally <laughs> saw it in her eyes. <laughs> uh, your listeners don't know that. Okay, but <laughs> I'm telling them. <laughs> okay. Um, that she lying. That she lying. <laughs> okay, okay. You don't. <laughs> you don't have to be you don't have to be the wisest or the smartest person in the room during the project whatever you're leading as a leader you don't have to have all the answers hmm. um and and actually revel in not in not knowing being okay with not knowing it is it is a big thing i've not figured that out But it's a, it's yeah. But it's something that would would be helpful, I think. Um, but as a person, same lah. No. Oh. Yeah. What levels? Oh. Got levels. Got levels. Yes, because I like learned like I know you on these two okay, different okay. fronts. Fair. Um. Yeah. But yeah, like as a creative, I think that that is okay lah. Mm. You can let go. You can be a bit hippie sometimes. Struggle is you real. You see, you see, you see. <laughs> <laughs> That's like an immediate response. Rolled my eyes. 
side. <laughs> just like flipped my head. You can yeah. you can wing it sometimes. Uh, and um, as a person, you can be loved. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and you can let people love you. I'm just gonna I, let that sit. <laughs> Just. I want to grunt into the audio right now. But fine. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Vesha. Because I uh, love you. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I feel so compelled to reply. I'm not going to reply. I will not be emotionally blackmailed on my own podcast. Uh, okay, wait. I think before before I just, I just want to, as we wrap up, I just want to acknowledge you. Um, I think for our listeners who don't know, Vesha actually designed our logo. That's true. Right? Yeah, the Creative <laughs> Podcast logo was actually designed by Vesha. All the publicity, like the social media or whatever, the thingamajiggies, the colors and all of that. Yeah, Vesha did that. Um, so it's kind of nice that we're ending the season with her. Um, but I, Vesha, I just want to acknowledge you for the art you're making, the stories you are telling, um, the questions you are asking, um, not just yourself, but everyone else. Um, and I just want to say the world is a better place. Thank you. Don't cry on me. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Can I respond? Sure. Yay. <laughs> I'm okay. terrified now. Ahem, cracks knuckles. Oh, God. <laughs> and since since this is your like closing like closing season, right? I think that it's also important to acknowledge the work that you've done too. Thank you. This entire season, the kind of conversations that you've been having are conversations that we all have with each other, but never as a resource, never as a place for people to actually listen and learn from. And I think that it's it, it's like almost like this, almost sacred, it feels. And you do it so well. You listen, you are present in ways that a lot of people aren't sometimes, you know, and you remind us that as much as the creative journey is solo in many ways, it is not lonely. Um, and that I am very grateful to have met you, to have worked with you, to have asked all these questions with you. And I know that I am the, who I am right now at this moment because of our time together. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. I didn't and pay her to say point. that. I, <laughs> also, yeah. self-point. Yes. I, I think to be fair, I was going to say that too. It's not a... You can finally hear you laughing. Um, it's not a solo journey, okay? There's people like Safwan and everyone else who play mm. a huge role behind the scenes to make this happen. Yeah. yeah we also did not pay Vesha to say any of that. No, okay? he doesn't have to. Oh, I've been God. saying this to him this, this entire year. <laughs> play music. The Creative Curry Podcast is produced by Podex. Huge shout out to my producers, Safwan Sirik, Hanis Farah, and Azam Rais. This episode is also edited by Safwan Sirik. The show is created and hosted by me, Dinesha Katigesu. You can find me and my work online at dinesha.com. D-H-I-N-E-S-H-A.com. Thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to keep telling the stories that you are telling.